0: You are on the panel on RNZ National, Sarah Sparks and Liam here. With me this afternoon. Now, a series of earthquakes hit the North Island this morning, causing damage in Hawkes Bay. Civil Defence has confirmed there is no tsunami threat. Well, the first quake, magnitude 5.9, hit at 16 past 10 a.m. was centered at Porangahoe in Hawkes Bay. Geologically, the tremor was 24 kilometres deep, and one of those hit was the Duke Hotel in Porangahoe. And Robert from the Duke Hotel is with us. Robert kia ora, how are you?
1: Hey, how's the game? Very
0: well. It's lovely to have you on the uh, on the show today, Robert. Tell us what happened.
1: Oh, to be honest, it, it kind of all happened so fast that I didn't. I don't actually know what happened. For me, I was sitting inside of our office, and uh, my first instinct was to kind of just grab our computers. And as uh, as I did that, I just watched everything on our shelves slowly fall off, and then I realized, holy moly, we're, we're an earthquake. <laughs>
0: Did it take you, it's funny, the the brain, isn't it? Did it take you some time to kind of understand or comprehend what was actually going on?
1: Yeah, I mean, when it first hit, I, I felt the initial shake and it, because it had lasted for a good, I don't know, the initial shock had lasted about 30 seconds, but after the good five seconds, that's when I had realised that, yeah, I mean, I didn't at all think it, it, it was happening. <laughs>
0: Amazing,
2: and Robert, did you get under your uh, desk?
1: No, no, I, I, it all honestly happened that fast. By the time I had thought to move underneath the um, the door, I thought, "Man, this building's so old; <laughs> it's probably more safe for me to move outside." Yeah,
0: and how long? Uh, how long did it last for in totality?
1: Well, probably a good two minutes. I wow. think the after the aftershakes had, had kept going, and they are actually still going. I think about an hour ago we had felt another good shake. Mm.
0: Tell me about the Duke Hotel itself. A bit of damage there?
1: There is there is a bit. A few of our beer bottles have been broken. Unfortunately, we're still actually having a look at some of the damage. They're, we're still slowly picking things up and making sure nothing's actually broken.
0: Yeah. So well, uh, you're uh, you're all safe and well there at the moment, Robert. I guess this is uh, on one level, this is not what you sort of want, especially after the cyclone, right?
1: Yeah, well, that, that's been the biggest uh, the biggest worry about the day. Is that we've all experienced all of these things. I mean, the the morning was sunshine, and then we we had a unreal bit of rain, and then all of a sudden we had a. An earthquake, so it's you know, just an unlucky series of events that just keep happening. It was, and then the, the talk about a tsunami, we we're all just like, "Oh, what are the odds? It's probably going to, it's probably going to go." So I don't know. We're all just at, at at edge at the moment. Just keep looking after each other, kind oh, yeah. of thing.
0: Good on you, Robert. R- rattling manoeuvres, huh?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. Good on you. Hey, thanks for being with us, Robert, and uh, all the best. Thanks for uh, uh, reporting in. Uh, no worries. That's uh Robert from the Duke Hotel in Port Angahoe. Eleven past four mm-hmm. the big news today. Uh the inland Re- an inland revenue study finds the wealthiest Kiwis pay about ten percent tax once all income and GST is included. For the average Kiwi, that figure is about 20%. Revenue Minister David Parker said, quoting, Our citizens like tradies, nurses, school teachers, hospitality workers, hairdressers, cleaners, engineers, small business owners all pay a much higher effective tax rate than their wealthier Fellow Kiwis, quote unquote, he said that the report was not about chasing tax avoiders or attacking the rich, uh, in his words. Now, the project gathered information from 311 families who generally have a net worth of more than 15 million dollars. Looking at the period from the 1st of April 2015 to the 31st of March 2021. To make sense of all, we have Terry Boucher, a tax expert from Boucher Consulting, Kia ora, Terry explain to us why this discrepancy why do the wealthiest families pay less than half the amount of tax
3: big question um, very simple the simplest way of putting it is the broader definition of income is taken in measuring that discrepancy what we're talking about there is there's taxable income such as your salaries and profits if you're And then there is non-taxable but economic income, which, is generally speaking, are untaxed capital gains. And that's where the discrepancy comes in. Once you start bringing those into the equation and measuring the economic return, you start to see a discrepancy emerge between income which is taxed and uh, and then this untaxed income. And as you said, the discrepancy gets to a point where effectively... uh, 9.5% of the economic income for the wealthiest families in the country is the effective tax rate on their economic income.
0: Ah, so that's what this is all about. As Parker said, it showed this group made a killing on capital gains. So is this really um, a message about capital gains?
3: Well, yes, it's a message about a number of things, Mm -hmm. Um, but the capital gains will obviously feature in that. Uh, Interestingly, um, the report looked at different type timeframes, whether there was, because for example, it it measured the, it measured over five years. It should be said the Inland Revenues report was really groundbreaking because most wealth reports based around estimations of economic income of the wealthy, super wealthy, are based on surveys and as David Parker has pointed out, they don't often participate in the surveys. The, apparently, the household economics uh, survey has only twice had two people with more worth more than 20 million people answer their survey. And we know we've got billionaires in the country, so we knew there was a discrepancy. But this report covers five years and is based on financial returns um, provided and information provided by these 311 families. Um, and so it's extremely accurate. And I think a lot right. of jurisdictions extremely accurate relative to information we know beforehand, put it like that. And yeah, I think other jurisdictions will be looking at this with some interest.
0: OK, groundbreaker. So, so it's pretty robust information. All right, Sarah Sparks, what's your questions, your thoughts on this?
2: Oh, well, it's long overdue. I'm surprised it didn't happen earlier, to be honest, about showing a light on on how unfair the, the tax system is. It, it, it just uh, encapsulates those with the capital, the rich getting richer, while the poor get slammed. Um, and I really believe that, you know, tax is essential for the services in, in our country and people who have the means, and I know that this lays bare the mechanism of how the, they uh, aggregate passive wealth, uh, I'm hoping that there will be changes, and it, it's just when and who who has the political kaha mm. to actually make the call. But very, very principled in terms of going through the process and factually doing this.
0: Stay there, Terry. Let's bring in uh, Liam as well, and we'll come back to you.
4: Thanks, so, Terry. Um, was the um, was the report based on unrealised capital gains? Yes.
3: Are yep,
4: there we'll any? Ca- the- yeah. Are there any countries in the world that tax unrealised capital gains? Is there even a single one?
3: We do. We do already, and they're in the form of a foreign investment fund regime, and also in our financial arrangements regime, which taxes bonds and, uh, bonds and um, uh, foreign exchange accounts. We tax those on an unrealised basis.
4: But that's, that's pretty niche and specific, isn't it? There's no countries in the world that... <laughs> broadly tax assets based on unrealised capital gains. So it just seems kind of well, strange to well, me well,
3: well, that... Well, just on that, Liam, have got to take into consideration other countries may have a, a tax on a realised basis, but then they may also have uh, some, like Netherlands, for example, tax some rents on an imputed basis. There's a wealth tax in, in uh, Switzerland that raises quite a significant amount of revenue. There are several countries with wealth taxes. And then something else which we don't talk a lot about: you have um, gift and estate taxes that will apply, which do pick up, in essence, on an event. But but, that, that's, but that's yeah. a
4: wealth tax. It's not a tax on capital gains.
3: So well, it, uh, death duty is essentially. I mean, at the, the point they do, re- they will tax it. So, it just, in fact, in Australia and Canada, um, the uh, capital gains is used as a mechanism for taxing. Uh, transfers as a de subst- facto substitute for an estate duty.
4: Yeah, but but again, that's on a specific event happening like a death. So, I mean, it, it doesn't seem to me that there'd be any circumstance in which any New Zealand government would start taxing all assets on a, a on an accrual basis. So it just, why would the IRD base it on this? I mean, it, it, like we had that report come out that found the opposite conclusion uh, where capital gains were disregarded altogether here we've got them being over-included, and I guess the difference is that one of those reports is coming from a government department. It just seems really odd to me. Like, is it you don't think there's anything surprising or controversial about the way that they've measured uh, income in, in in this way?
3: No, not at all. Other jurisdictions were all other jurisdictions are very interested in knowing what the wealthy um, have for various reasons, including what I've just mentioned, estate duty and gift duty, um, but also primarily because demographic pressures aging populations climate change means countries are be looking for revenue and so where where can we find that extra revenue
0: right. so now just uh, on that uh, on that uh, the report, by the report uh, yeah Terry,
3: sorry to interrupt um
0: yeah. uh, was this report
3: in its sort of an analysis that sort 9.5 8.95 9.5% of economic is the effective tax rate on economic income mirrors other reports around the world such as a report from the white house in 2021 where it said there's 8.2 percent for the 400 wealthiest families in the united states and they have an estate tax and a capital gains tax so again it's it's of interest to many jurisdictions
0: right now clearly there's more to come on this uh and um One, uh, we actually might do a second take on this, but just one final comment on what uh, Liam raised. The tax consultancy Oliver Shaw commissioned consulting firms to peer research, to peer uh, a report on the effective rates of tax, saying, look, most of the tax collected from individuals in New Zealand came from rich taxpayers. The richer they were, the more tax they were likely to pay and overall found the findings pretty fair. What's your thoughts on that?
3: That report is still a little bit indigestible, to be frank. I find that it seems to be confusing. Yes, that's true, but that's always the case, progressive tax systems. But then you you have to bring into relativity the impact of GST, and GST wasn't considered in the Saperi report, and that has a regressive effect, and that's well known. Um, and the report in um, the Inland Revenue Report notes that, that GST has a particularly aggressive effect on the lowest two income deciles, and it then falls away quite significantly once you get to the top decile. Right. Interesting, so Terry. yeah. And GST raises a substantial amount of income for us. So, again, you take that into consideration, then the picture changes.
0: Interesting. That's Terry Kiotta. Terry, that's Terry Balsham, Kier. who is a tax expert from... Uh, Belcher Consulting. Sounds like Liam's on a ball with it. Sarah says, yes, uh, it's got to be fairer. 20 past four of the panel. Now, removing car parks in the super city is easier said, then done. In fact, it's very difficult. Try it at your peril. A team last year made plans to remove on-street parking for some key corridors, making space for other types of transport, removing parking on 240 kilometres of roads over a decade. That's about 3% of the 7,000 k's of roads. That plan... Gone burgers. Music to the ears of some small businesses and local shops uh, who want to keep the uh, parking outside their shop. So what's next? Dr Timothy Welsh, senior lecturer in the School of Archite- Architecture at Auckland University, has uh, written about this. Dr Welsh, welcome.
5: Kia ora, thanks for having me. Sir.
0: Is it Gone Burgers or is it kicked into the consultation grass?
5: Yeah, I mean... The writing's pretty much on the wall here. Uh, I don't think we'll see removal of car parks. Uh, It was a bit, I guess, controversial from the beginning, um, and I don't think it's going to get picked up going forward.
0: It equates to about 40,000 car parks over 10 years. It's a lot, Timothy. That's a lot of car trips that you can't do while you, I don't know, duck in and get some organic almonds from your favourite local shop.
5: Yeah, it sounds like a big number, but if we look at the fact that there's 7,000 kilometers of roads in in Auckland and about 500,000 parking spaces, it's a drop in a bucket, and we could use that space on these key corridors to move a lot more people and get a lot more people to local shops with bus lanes and cycle lanes, which have been proven to bring more businesses to local businesses. Have they? It really has. There's been studies all around the world and even coming out of New Zealand that show that there's an uptick in the number of customers and the amount of spending when they can access shops by foot or bike or by bus. Uh, so it, it, they really do bring more people into shops when they're not by car. It's really limiting form factor to find a parking space and, and to come in for a single individual.
0: Well, you live in, uh, I think, the CBD or nearer, nearer the CBD, Sarah. What's your take on this?
2: Yeah, and I don't have a walker either, I might add. So... Um, <laughs> It's a tricky one because people, are, they have a cognitive behaviour they're used to using their cars, right? But um, I think it's a good thing. Anything that's going to, going to improve um, the environment and for us to make that migration to doing things in a smarter way but also the system has to play its part so public transport has to be reliable I mean I take the ferry from time to time, I do take the bus, got the got my hot card in the train um, clo- you know, close to where I live in the CBD uh, haven't actually tried a scooter but there's various options now but one thing that I'm very interested in trying are the city hot cars uh, and looking at oh, what yes. can we do okay. with technology and in terms of, we've got, you know, the likes of a model like Uber, but what about someone like me? I haven't got a car, but it's on purpose now, and I may not have a car and experiment with different options. So, yeah. you know, I think we need to be innovative as well.
0: I would be interested in hearing from uh, a small business, local business. You might even be in your high street or your lawn street or wherever you are uh, in Auckland or otherwise. Um, does the. Um, Pedestrianisation affect your business and how does it, Liam? This would be an issue in your area as well.
4: Yeah, like so. I live on the right around right the edge of the CBD of Rongatea and um, yeah. I tend to walk into the commercial district, uh, but then again, you know, it's a village of 600 people, so like it's not really necessarily the same um, uh, issues that Auckland has. Um, but even in the big smoke where I work, Palms to the north, um, it's really really interesting because we started our new business in December. Um, and so we're right in the in the middle of the uh, of the square, um, and we've got uh, car parks for the staff. But we look said we're really close in the middle of town. There's heaps of parks, uh, and uh, we won't have any uh, client car parks. And it's been the you know it's been brought up so many times. People just have an expectation, rightly or wrongly, um, that they, there will be parks really close by that they'll be able to park right outside where they want to go.
0: And I think you're going to have a hard time. Uh, unlearning those habits. You see, Dr. Welsh, it's the expectation. It's the expectation. This is why I brought up the uh, organic almonds issue. You know, you've got your Whole Foods shop, you want to just drive there, duck in, just duck in, 90 seconds out.
5: Yeah, I mean, it seems logical that a lot of people would arrive that way, uh, but the the facts don't bear that out. Uh, the evidence shows about 96% of local patronage comes by foot or bus or bike. Um, wow, and, you know, really? It's, it's really not that number. Yeah, that's that's generally the number. It varies, of course depending on the location, but that's really, remember, if you're going to get a flat light or something, you're typically not driving to do that. You'll walk uh, to your local business. And and making things feasible outside of the car, like buses, really requires getting those car parks moved so we can move the buses, otherwise they're just sitting in traffic and doing us no good. Uh, So we really need that space for other things.
0: Sure.
2: It's got so much more upside you know supporting your local business protecting Papa Tuanuku, doing things differently
5: That's exactly right yeah
0: very good Dr. Timothy Welsh there, a lecturer at the School of Architecture at uh, the University of Auckland so you're not going you're going to keep those car parks there or you wanna, you're going to try and buy some new parks to clients. Uh, Liam.
4: Uh, look, I mean the car park's are hard to come by, but uh, you know, we're, we're opposite from the, sh- the uh, shopping centre, the plaza, where there's like 200 car parks uh, available all the time with an hour-free car park, and we still oh. get complaints. Oh. So, you know, um, well, we'll have to figure that
0: one out. Uh, I live in the CBD. Shop at Takapuna Market Sundays. Could do it without a car or pop somewhere else's over there. The panel on Z. National, 27 past four of the panel I wanted to bring this up uh, I had a question for the listeners um, My colleagues have all their earphones in all the time I can't even have office banter anymore because no one wants to uh, A friend, not a media by the way, regaled to me It's the banter where your ideas come from, Listen, not listening to wellness podcast while you're working uh, and I thought I'd put it open to the uh, listeners, listen to a podcast on music while you're in the office would you find that acceptable? Um, I'm probably going to say no, I mean it's different here because I'm in radio because we've all got, got, all got the headphones on but you cannot I put it to you, Siri. you cannot be collegial uh, at all while you are in another universe listening to a little bit of shaggy or whatever you're listening to, a podcast,
2: doing work. Yeah, I agree. It's you know, you, you know, you agree? There's, there's no fucking tanga, right? And that's the thing when you when you work in a in a open office space, it is about the connections. Absolutely,
0: you're making yourself siloed, Liam. I'm working in an open office now for the
4: first time in, in my life. I have had my own office. and it, and, and that has been awesome. The ability to uh, you know to bounce off people, um, you know to, to be available for people, that's great. Um, having said that, there are times you know when you just actually have to knuckle down and do work, and I don't think it's inappropriate to have a bit of a mix. If you're going to sit down and you need to smash out some work. Put in some headphones, listen to music. I don't, I don't think it was really appropriate to listen to a podcast while you're working. I, I think that's a sap in your productivity. Uh, but you know it, it's it, you know as long as it's you know there's a healthy mix of uh, of concentration and being open and available, I think that's okay um, but just not all the time.
0: Uh, Someone here says I don't think you can concentrate properly If you're listening to a podcast at work The brain can't multitask I use very quiet music In my noise cancelling headphones While in the office for two reasons One was that it was open plan And we have a couple of loud mouths who consider it their right to have loud conversations, and the other was that I have tinnitus. Sadly, the boss directed me to not wear headphones in the office so that he could come over and interrupt me whenever he wanted. I could not work properly from the noise and had to find a new job. Well, that's a bit, bit extreme, isn't it? It's,
4: it's pretty extreme. I mean, I reckon... If- you know, I'm the loudmouth in the office. You'll be really surprised to hear about that. Yeah, very and, surprised, and, yes. You yes. know, and if someone rings me up and I'm having a loud conversation walking around like I do, pacing, um, I, you know, I'm not going to take any offence to someone chucking the headphones on. I'd rather they, they, them do that than them throw a stapler at me or something.
0: Fair enough, Sarah, I guess. Oh, fair enough.
2: Well, some workplaces that I've been at, they've got those pods that are great. You can just go in there oh. and they're quiet. Um, so there's options now in terms of spaces, but I notice like since COVID that they've been mm. quite popular because there's a few shared offices that I work out of and I see them
4: My, my secretary makes me go into the um, server room and, and shut the door behind me if I'm going to have a loud discussion
0: So do you <laughs> So before you go, do you um, some text goes shaggy ha 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 ha, what's wrong with <laughs> I was, don't say it it's a very good song he did didn't he, now um your new offices, how do you encourage um, productive activity, Liam? Do you have a table tennis table? Do you have any bean bags there in Palmerston North? What do you do?
4: Um, well, well, like, I don't know, we, we come to work and we work pretty hard, but we have a laugh and you know, we, do the, we do the stuff quiz every day, do the Dominion Post quiz. You, d- the, you the post do what? Quiz.
0: You do what? Well, we
4: work pretty hard. I mean, the others do anyway, you know, and I'm not um, driving down to Wellington to talk to you on the radio. Did you drive all the way to Wellington to talk to me? Yeah, because they said that my uh, microphone's not good enough and it's better if I come in studio. So you should feel very privileged.
0: You know what? How can we get some of these wonderful Anzac biscuits to Liam? I'll think about it. I'll think about it overnight.